Amen. Let's get a Lord a hand praise this morning. I shall not be moved. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for looking over us last night when we laid down in the very image of death. You saw fit to get us up this morning. So, God, we'd like to say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Before I introduce the speaker this morning, I would like to read a scripture for today coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. And it goes like this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word this morning. And right now, I'm getting ready to bring our speaker. I ask everybody to stand this morning. Our elder Julian Watkins, amen, powerful speaker, powerful teacher, and I'm sure you're going to be blessed this morning, amen. So right now, bring to you our elder Julian Watkins, amen. It's good to be here once again. I guess I don't need to take this off because you can hear me through this. Always a pleasure to be here in the house of the Lord with the saints. We uh, thank God for life, breath, strength. We thank God for all that he's done. I have to say thank you for my wife, for my children, for my extended family. And uh, I always have to thank God for my church family here at New Life Community Church. Uh, I give honor to God because he's deserving of all honor. He's deserving of all glory, and nobody else is. He is because he's worthy of all praise and because of who he is, just because of who he is. This time, we just want to open up, make sure we get off on the right foot with prayer. If you would just join with me in a brief word of prayer. Dear, kind, and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for giving us this opportunity to be able to stand before these, your people, Lord, we ask right now that you would bless this, your humble servant, that I might speak your word, that I might not add anything to it or take anything away, Lord. Lord, we ask right now a special prayer, Lord God, for the church, the universal church, Lord, the bride of Christ, the redeemed of the Lord. We pray, Lord God, for the workers in the vineyard, who show up day in and day out. They don't take days off. 
they don't go on long vacations, but they are constantly working in the vineyard. Lord, we pray, Lord, for the under shepherds all across the land who help to shepherd the sheep, Lord God. We ask right now that you, Lord God, would touch, Lord God, because we have to pray also for the nations on this earth, which are, this is a big place, Lord God, but you are even bigger, Lord God. We ask right now that you would touch, Lord God, and we must pray, Lord God, as your word has commanded for the leaders, Lord God, of the nation, both great and small. We ask now, Lord God, that you would touch the minds, Lord God, of those who have been blinded by the God of this world, Lord. Manifest yourself, magnify your son by the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he works in and through us, the beloved of God. Watch over, protect, and keep in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this time. One of the dangers that I find myself confronted with on a regular basis and something that I have realized over time, working the night shift, I did the math. Somebody asked me last week, how long have you been working the midnight shift? And I said, let me, let me do the math and figure this out. It was about three years after I started at St. Joe, and I've been there over 30 years now. So about 27 years now, working the midnight shift. And one of the dangers that I find, and I'm confronted with every single time, is falling asleep behind the wheel of the car while I am on my way home from working a 12-hour shift. Every time I make it home, there's part of a refrain from an old hymn that we used to sing that comes to my mind, and it goes like, your grace and mercy brought me through. That is one that just comes to my mind because I got enough sense to know that it is not my excellent driving. That's not what it is. Because sometimes I don't even remember how I got home. But it's nothing but the grace and the mercy of God that keeps me from not only killing myself but hurting somebody else or maybe even worse. Now, that was early on. I don't have those kind of issues now because God has enabled me to come up with this concoction that I drink at work, coffee with two shots. Not alcohol, but two shots of espresso, right? Not two shots. They don't have that available. And that seems to do the trick. Sometimes I get home and uh, I have to sit a little while before I can even get ready to go to sleep because I have to wait for my heart rate to come down, right? I have to wait for the jitters to go away, right? But God has made it possible for me to be able to get home, and uh, I'm not going to give all honor and glory to the shots, but I'm going to give honor and glory to God. Yep, he created the shots, didn't he? And we can use the shots the way that, uh, that we need to, and we can give praise and glory and honor to God for the shots as well. Is that right? So... At times, uh, in other areas of my life also, maybe you have, I don't know, uh, felt like I have fallen asleep, as it were, behind the wheel. Fallen asleep behind the wheel. Just to put this in context, maybe, you know, for me as a husband, sometimes I look at myself and I 
miss the mark. I fall short. Maybe I don't pay attention to certain things that are going on with me being a father, as a son, as a brother, as a minister, as a child of God, and as a witness for God. Sometimes I fall asleep and I sleep an opportunity, right? To spend a little bit more time, to say something, to share something that maybe God is leading me to say and do. And one thing we have to realize is that those are opportunities, aren't they? Pastor Seawright has talked to us about opportunities before. And once they're gone, they're gone, right? You wish they would come back through again, but sometimes they don't, right? So we have to redeem the time and we have to seize the moment when it presents itself. I've fallen asleep at stoplights before, stop signs before, and uh, I've had people honk at me. One time I had somebody get out of the car and come knock on the window. This was early on. This hasn't happened recently, not since the shots. I've run over some curves before. I've hit some rumble strips before. I've been saved by some rumble strips before. I ran over a squirrel once. That was a long time ago, too. One time before the shots. That's right. In the, in the back of a car I ran into once when I was like, I don't know, maybe 19 or 20 years old, still coming home from work at night. And uh, nobody got injured, thank God. But this is one of those things that is very dangerous, to fall, behind, fall asleep behind the wheel of a car or anything, because it has some dire consequences. They say that uh, falling asleep behind the wheel of a car is much like being intoxicated. When you drive sleepy, it's like being intoxicated. With alcohol, just as bad, because it can have some of the same consequences, devastating consequences, as being drunk behind the wheel of a car. As a church, we don't want to be drunk behind the wheel of a car, do we? And we don't want to get weary in well-doing, right? And fall asleep, lest we have de devastating and dire consequences as a result. The proof of this can be seen in the news. It can be seen on the television. It can be seen in the world in which we live in. Like the rumble strips that uh, I have driven over at times, you probably have gotten a few of them yourself, God has given us safeguards that are supposed to keep us alert, right? And save us from destruction when we veer off the road. Anybody ever veered off the road? I'm not talking about driving a car anymore. You ever veered off the road before? The road that God put you on? You ever veered off of that road a little bit? Huh? God has a way of what? Gently nudging you back on. He starts gently, doesn't he? But when you don't wake up, uh, when you don't realize what it is that he's trying to do gently, he can take it up a notch. Is that right? The scripture tells us it's, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We don't want to fall into his hands. We want to be kept in his hands, right? You need to stay in God's hands before you fall into his hands. That's not a place you want to be. So God has put these safeguards in place so that we don't fall asleep behind the wheel. And this is something that leaders have a problem with sometimes. 
they've been given charge over certain things. And the church itself is supposed to be leaders in the world. They are supposed to be examples in the world. They are supposed to be light and salt in the world. They're supposed to be the example of how God wants for people to live, right? They're supposed to be an example of how following God's law and honoring him in everything that we say, do, and think, how that results in blessings, the blessings of God, right? And when we say blessings, we're not just talking about material things, right? We're talking about the spiritual blessings in high places, right? God has given us a conscience, hasn't he? This is one of the things that he's given to us. Every person has a conscience. And the more you listen to that conscience, the more effective it is at keeping you from what? Falling asleep behind the wheel, right? Veering off, right? Jerking the wheel and running off the road over a cliff, right? And killing yourself and everybody else who's in the car and possibly other folks, right? So he's given us a conscience and each one of us has a conscience and that conscience will either accuse us or it will excuse us. Is that right? And that's something we all have. But some people have ignored their conscience so much that they have seared it with a hot iron. They have destroyed its effectiveness and it no longer works for them. This is where sometimes you have to have the second thing, which is marriage and family, right? The institution of God. The first institution being marriage, right? The second being the family, right? He said, for this cause, a man shall leave his mother and father, right? And the two shall become one flesh. He's going to cleave to his wife. She's going to cleave to her husband, right? And the two shall become one flesh, right? And then he gave him a command and said, be ye fruitful and multiply. And that was Adam and Eve, right? Not Adam and Steve, right? That's who he was talking to, right? That is the design that God set forth for mankind. And in the family, God gave a command to parents, train them up in the way that they should go. And when, what? They're old, they will not depart from it. What does that mean for, for some parents? Every one of us wants to see every single one of our children saved, right? Sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit, right? before we close our eyes for the last time. Is that right? But a day is as a thousand years to God and a thousand years is as one day, right? Right? When we pray for stuff, we want it when? Right now. Yesterday if possible, right? But God has to take those children through a process, doesn't he? And if you're honest with yourself, he had to take you through a process also, didn't he? Is that right? And guess what? If you're even more honest, you know he's still taking you through a process right now. Because guess what? You have not arrived yet. And in that day that you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. That is the moment that you need to be afraid of. That time where you think, I got this, right? I'm all together, right? There's nothing more that I need to learn or do, right? I just need people to line up and listen to my knowledge and my wisdom, right? And then maybe they can attain what I have attained, right? It's not about being perfect. It's about being perfected. And that is a process, right? 
But we need to understand that we might not see our children get saved. One of the things I realized is my grandfather used to pray with us in his room. All the kids gathered around as he gave us pray candy, which was just some, some candy corn, but they, he used to call it pray candy. He would give it to us if we went in there and got prayed for and we all prayed in a circle. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And my grandmother, prayer that came off her lip was, Lord, save my children. She did not get to see all of her children saved. But I got to see, huh? After she was gone, many of her children got saved and she still got some left, right? Still got some left that God has given grace and mercy to and time, because that's what we need is time to respond to the grace and the mercy of God. And it is the family that allows us to be able to train them up. That's the second thing. God has given us government now. He's taking it up a notch, right? It is better for you to train a child up, right? In the fear and admonition of the Lord in home with loving arms, right? Rather than turn them loose out into the world and then all of a sudden they got to be jacked up on the back of a police car, right? Huh? With their legs spread and their ha pants hanging down, right? And, and their hands behind their back, right? And they better not move wrong because something might go down, right? And they may end up dead. Who knows? right? God has put that into society, right? As a safeguard for us. And it is that thin blue line that we've heard about. God has given us government and authorities. And as it says in Romans 13, the government does not bear the sword in vain. You seen any police bearing swords lately? <clears throat> hmm? You seen any with a sword on them? No. When this was written, they did have swords, though, didn't they? You ever seen anybody tell somebody, well, you better stop it and get over there with that sword, right? Huh? You have, just poke them a little bit, right? Get on over there and do the right thing. Huh? Is that what a sword is for? No, a sword is a instrument of what? Death, right? You don't chastise a person with a sword, right? When you come at somebody with a sword, you mean... Serious business, right? You are subject to die if somebody hits you with a sword. Well, in our day, we have police officers who have sidearms now, right? They have guns. And in our common vernacular, the government or those who have been put in authority to uphold the law do not bear a firearm in vain, do they? They don't. That needs to mean something. It used to mean something, but now it doesn't. And it goes all the way back to the conscience of a man. And it goes all the way back to how that person was raised in a family, right? If they don't respect their parents, they're not going to respect the teacher. If they don't respect the teacher, they're not going to respect the principal, right? If they don't respect the principal, they're not going to respect the police. If they don't respect the police, they're not going to respect the judge, right? Huh? And if they don't respect the judge, they're not going to respect the judge. Do you see how it goes, right? The best thing to do is start with the conscience, right? But in the event that the conscience is not enough to drive them to the revelation of Christ, this is where parents come in and they have a responsibility to lead them in that direction. 
And if you fail to do that, if you fall asleep behind the wheel, as it were, in that, there's some other things that can happen as a result. The fourth thing that God has given to society is the church, right? And God has told us to let your light so shine, right, before men that they might see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. He said, go ye therefore, right, into all of the land, right, throughout the world, right, into the highways and the byways, into the hedges, right, and the highways, right? Teaching, right? Teaching them what? The word of God, the way of salvation, right? And that is our responsibility. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive what? Power, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Sumeria and to the uttermost parts of the world. We live in a time when the conscience of men is dull, right? It's without feeling. It's seared with a hot iron. It doesn't even, it's, it's just calloused over where it has no feeling. We live in a time when marriage and family are under attack and do not even resemble that which God instituted from the beginning. Does not even resemble it. We live in a time when government has sought power and control over the lives of people that only God himself was meant to have. And they did not stop there, but they also did what? They took prayer out of the schools, right? Did they think that that was not going to have consequences? They didn't think so, but apparently the church didn't think so either. It happened, didn't it? It happened. And also they have taken God out of the public square as well. To name God is politically incorrect, right? To say anything about Christianity in particular is politically incorrect. And you know what? It's narrow-minded, right? Do you want to be called a name? Could be worse, right? Huh? Are you narrow-minded? Are you a narrow-minded Christian? Hmm? Does that mean that you are exclusive? Yeah, it does. What does the Bible say? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Does that leave a whole lot of room for a whole bunch of other roads? A whole lot of other ways? Huh? another direction towards life. It does not, but it is politically incorrect. Or to put it in another term, it is not politically expedient for you to say that, right? To talk like that, to have that kind of language. Why? Because we want to make sure that we, you know, are able to draw all people, right? We don't want to be so narrow-minded, right? What kind of person do you think it is that goes through a narrow way, a narrow gate? who walks down a narrow way and few there be that find it. What kind of a person? Probably somebody with a narrow mind, right? And narrow vision as well, right? Looking unto Jesus, right? Who is the author, right? And the finisher of who? Of our faith, right? He didn't say be open-minded and broad-minded about things because there's some other people, right? Who did go through the broad gate, right? down the broad way. And there's a whole bunch of people that you find on there, right? But what is the end? It leads to what? Destruction. Pick which road you want to be on. The one with a whole lot of people on it or the one with just a few? The one with a whole bunch of people on it? Guess what? That's not the right road. 
is it? It might seem that way because there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof leads to what? To death, to death and destruction. And I have to throw the scripture in there every once in a while so y'all don't think I'm just, you know, giving you my, my opinions about stuff, right? I'm not just spewing, you know, platitudes up here, right? My own ideas and thoughts about the way that I think things should be. I'm just, you know, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, right? That used to mean something, right? Huh? There was a preacher that used to say, the Bible says, right? The Bible said, and you know what? It used to mean something then, didn't it, right? Billy Graham used, the Bible says, right? If you say that now, so uh, the Bible was written by a whole bunch of old men. We don't know if that's accurate or not. We don't know if they done changed it or not. I mean, it's got a few little good things in there. We can pick and choose out of there what we like and discard the rest, right? Either the Bible is the word of God or it is not the word of God. So we live in a time when the church, the last safeguard of God, has fallen asleep behind the wheel. Now, that's not an indictment on every single Christian, right? But the universal church, to some degree, has lost its saltiness or its savor, right? It has, in some ways, taken its light and hid it under a bushel, right? Hmm? For political expedience, right? for political correctness, right? Not to make any waves because there's this idea that, well, if they like us, then they'll like Jesus, right? But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, they have hated me. And guess what? They're going to hate you too. Why? Because you are telling the truth and they don't want to hear the truth. The truth goes against everything that is in them, right? the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, right? Huh? They don't want to hear about that. That's not what they want to hear. Because the God of this world has blinded their minds, those who are perishing. You don't hear a whole lot of preachers standing before the congregation talking about the inerrancy of Scripture, the fact that it has no errors in it, right? That what it says, it says, and that's what God said, and therefore it is true, right? It is without error. Uh, you don't hear him talking about the authority of Scripture anymore, right? The fact that the Word of God has a place in society, not just the church, right? And it speaks authoritatively, which means you need to take heed to what the Word of God says and do it, right? And you don't hear a whole lot about heaven and holiness. Ooh. The H word. Holiness. Ooh. You want to empty a church, you start talking about holiness. Huh? You start talking about things like hell. Hmm. And don't say nothing about heathenism, right? Hmm? Heaven, holiness, hell, heathenism. Heathenism is just living an ungodly, wicked life. That's what that is. You will not hear a whole bunch of sermons about that. Either folks will leave or they'll go to sleep, right? You won't wake nobody up with that one. I don't know about you, though. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm part of a chosen generation. I feel like this is a, a, a cursed generation, more days than, off, than not. 
Sometimes I feel that way. Not all the time. I don't feel like a royal priesthood sometimes. I don't feel like a holy nation sometimes. And frankly, at times, I don't feel like a people possessed of God. It is a good thing, though, that the true reality is not based on how I feel sometimes. The fact of the matter is, is that the church of God, right? And I don't mean the denomination, but the children of God, the universal church, those that have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they are a chosen generation. They are a royal priesthood. They are a holy nation. They are a people possessed of God. And sometimes we just don't feel or act like it. Doesn't change who we are though, right? The life of a Christian is progressive in nature. And I don't mean progressive like the political or the secular definition of progressive, but instead progressing towards the likeness of Christ. Indeed, becoming conformed to his image and his likeness daily. It is a daily process, day by day. Each day you get to be a little bit more like Jesus Christ. When you look in the mirror, you say, that looks good on me, right? Because I am looking more and more like Christ, but I'm not done yet because I'm still in the dressing room, right? And I will stay in the dressing room until Jesus comes home and says it is time for the marriage supper. Is that right? I will stay in there until that day. And it's a lifelong process of taking off and putting on. Taking off the old man. My grandfather used to say, don't forget the other part now. Right? Taking off the old man. It's not, and then putting on the new man. It's not that. It's taking off the old man and his deeds. Uh-oh, that's the part we don't like to hear. Right? We like the idea of taking off the old man and putting on the new man. That seems like a nice, even transaction, right? But we also have to take off his deeds as well. Is that right? We got to take off those deeds and put on this new man, right? Which is more like Christ. First Peter 2, 1 through 10 gives us a picture of the believer and how it is that he or she is supposed to act and how they are to mature throughout their Christian life. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, right? So what does that mean? You got to pull off some stuff first. Some of us might not be able to get past that far part. We might not even need to go any further, right? Because we got to pull off some things. Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Hmm? We can't be mad at people for no good reason, right? We can't have that hiding in our heart. Oh, they walking over here. I'm not going to go over on that side. Oh, they coming to church today. I'm not coming to church today, okay? Oh, they going to be at this gathering. I'm not going to be at that gathering because what? I have malice in my heart. Deceit. That's just a fancy word for lying, right? Deceiving folks, not speaking the truth, not doing the truth, not thinking the truth, right? Hypocrisy. That is talking the talk, but not walking the walk. That's trying to tell everybody else about the little speck they have in their eye, and you walking around with a two-by-four sticking out of your own eye, right? And you have not figured out that you need to take the beam out of your own eye first before you can help the other one get the speck out of their eye, right? Envy. Oh, I wish I had what she had. I wish I had what he had. That should be mine and not theirs, right? 
God, why don't you give me what you gave them? But what you don't know is what they had to go through in order to get what they got, right? You might want to bear your own cross, right? And be satisfied with that rather than trying to take somebody else's because you don't want to walk in their shoes, do you? Huh? You don't know what it's like to walk in their shoes and you don't know what it costs them to get where they are and to get what they have, right? Slander, just bringing people down, saying all manner of evil against people falsely, right? Dragging their name through the mud, don't know anything about them, never met them, never talked to them, but saying all, this is the stuff you gotta pull off first before you can even get to the good part. And the good part is being like a newborn babe that longs for the pure milk of the word, the word of God, desiring the word of God so that they might grow by it in respect to salvation. Your salvation, that is the process of sanctification, has a direct correlation to how much time you spend in the word of God. If you don't spend any time in the word of God, you will not grow. You will not mature. You won't. You will not have any power, any victory in your Christian walk. You have to get into the word of God. You have to marinate in the word of God. You have to study the word of God. You need to be able to eat the word of God every single day. How many times do you eat physical food each day? Don't answer that. How many times do you eat spiritual food every single day? That's something you need to consider, right? Because the one that you feed the most is going to be the strongest, right? If you feed the flesh all the time, the flesh will overpower you. It will overwhelm you. And you'll be up here at the front asking for prayer all the time about the same thing, right? You'll be up here wanting anointing for the same thing, right? Right? The power is not in that olive oil that we got from Kroger's, right? Uh, and put on your head. It is in the word of God. The victory is in the word of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where you get the victory. That's where the victory comes from. And you have to be like that baby, that baby that some of you mothers might know. That baby lays next to you, right? And it's like they can smell, right? They smell the mother, right? They smell the milk, right? They know where it is and they don't even have to open their eyes, but they will wake up out of a dead sleep, right? So that they can eat, right? And they will do that maybe throughout the night, right? But that is the way that you are supposed, if you get woke up in the middle of the night, and I told my oldest son is, if you wake up in the middle of the night and it's four o'clock in the morning and you can't get back to sleep, maybe that's a sign from God. Hmm? Maybe you need to get on your knees and pray a little bit. Maybe you need to get into the word a little bit and study, right? Use that time. Redeem that time, right? But then there's this if statement right after. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Who can answer that? Only you. Have you? Have you tasted, right? And was it good to you when you tasted it? Huh? Did it cause you to want to go back for more, right? See, physical food. You can eat and eat and eat and you get full, right? But spiritual food, when you eat it, the more you eat, the more hungry you get. And you want to eat more 
and more and more. And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by man, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone. Who is that? That's Jesus, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. If you taste and if you continue to eat, right, you will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve the stone which the builder rejected. This became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, the very name of Jesus. The word of God, the Bible is an offense to this world that we live in. They want to take it out of every single place that they can because it brings condemnation upon what they're doing, what they're saying, and what they're thinking. That's why they don't want to have it there. They want to do away with it. And if it wasn't for some Christians that still preach and teach the word of God and share it, it wouldn't be told, would not be told. And it is a stumbling block to some, and it is a rock of offense. And they stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. Do you know that you are doomed if you do not eat the word of God on a regular basis? If you do not allow yourself to be changed by the word of God, you are doomed. That means there's no hope for you. And it also says that you were appointed, right? The elect have been elected to what? Salvation. To go to heaven. But there are some who what? They were appointed to become objects of God's wrath. You don't want to be an object of God's wrath. The sad thing about it is, is that it's not always clear cut and dry, is it? Otherwise, the scripture would not talk about those people that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not huh, visit the sick? in prison, right? Minister to them and those that were in the hospital. Did we not do that? And what is his answer? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. These are not people who are out in the world being pagans. These are people who have done the worst thing possible and they have deceived themselves. There are those in the world that know they're saved and they are saved. There are those in the world that know that they're not saved. And guess what? They're not saved. There are those that don't feel like they're saved every single day, right? Because they mess up and they do things they shouldn't do and their heart and their conscience is pricked. But guess what? They are saved, right? But the worst situation to be in, this is the very worst. He's the one that knows that he's saved and he's not saved. And these are the kind of people whom Jesus will speak to on that day you have given up all, not all, but most, right? For appearances sake, right? All that time coming to church, right? Being active, right? Doing this program, right? Maybe playing on the piano, I don't know. Maybe singing in the choir, maybe ushering. Huh? God forbid you was a deacon or a preacher or a pastor, right? God forbid. 
but he will be saying those words to somebody, right? And most, of, most assuredly, it will be somebody who thought they were religious, thought that they had a right relationship with God, and possibly somebody who came to church every single Sunday, but they just did not receive Christ in their heart the way that the scripture has prescribed that you do that, and that is in faith, right? And obedience, faith and obedience. So, but you, it says, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Why were you chosen for all of this? So that you could proclaim. That means that you need to shout it. That means you need to not be afraid. That means that you need to not keep it to yourself, that you need not be embarrassed, right? Huh? And not be ashamed because if you are ashamed of Jesus before men, he said that he will be ashamed of you before his father. Then I guess you'll just be one of those people that he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you, right? Enter into a place prepared for the devil and his angels where there will be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That does not sound good to me. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So we need to start proclaiming, don't we? The excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Have you been called out of darkness into his marvelous light? If you have, the redeemed of the Lord should say so. For you once were not a people. Did you realize that? That we were not a people at one point, right? But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Have you been receiving mercy? Huh? Every single day, his mercies are what? They're brand new, aren't they? What do we as people need? A whole lot of. We need mercy, don't we? We need God's withholding or postponing of that which we deserve as a consequence of our actions. Sins of commission, right? Our actions. Or inactions, which are sins of omission. Things that we omit to do. Things that we should have done, right? So we need a whole lot of mercy, don't we? We also need God's grace. God's giving to us or supplying of that which we do not deserve in spite of our actions, right, which are sins of commission, or inactions, which are sins of omission, right? But Christians aren't the only one that need that, right? Doesn't the world need grace and mercy? Huh? And what do they need more of in order to respond to the grace and the mercy of God? They need time, don't they? Just like we need time, right? So that answers the question, God, why do you tarry? Why are you waiting? Don't you see what we see? This place is burning down. Come on, bring the bucket of water and put it out, right? That's why sin has to get to that fever pitch. It has to get to that highest level, right? So that people will begin to wake up and see evil for what it is, right? And then perhaps turn to God, the only savior of their souls. The thing about time is, is that it runs out, right? Doesn't it? Hmm? It runs out. And with it, so does the opportunity for grace and mercy of God to be shown to us and to those who are lost into this world. 
Time is winding up for this world, and so is our time to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been kind of lulled to sleep, kind of like I had been over 27 years driving the night shift, right? Hmm? We need a shot, don't we? And I don't mean we need a shot huh, of espresso. We need a shot of the Holy Spirit, right, to wake us up, right, and invigorate us and inspire us to do what he called us to do a long time ago, but we just haven't been doing it to the level that he requires. As the church, our works will be judged, right? Won't they? Jesus spoke to his disciples in Luke 12, 41 about a faithful and sensible steward or servant who was blessed and contrasted that with servants that were not faithful, nor were they sensible, right? This was in, in Luke 12, 41. And uh, one servant abused the other servants that he had been put in charge of. Another knew the will of the master and didn't do it. And still another did not know the will of the master and did not do what was right based off of what he knew to do. Each was given a different punishment accordingly based on his actions, inactions, and his knowledge, right? So what does the scripture say there? From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. To whom much is given, much is what? Required. Jesus goes on to talk about the consequences of these things and brings it home. Literally, he brings it home. Jesus speaks of destruction. That's the first D or judgment. Division and discernment in the latter portion of this passage. He says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one house will be divided three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he was also saying to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the West, immediately you say a shower is coming. The other day, Junie and I was sitting in the kitchen and he said, the wind is really picking up out there. Hmm? Must be a storm coming. You know what happened in about 10 minutes? It started raining and a storm came before it came, right? There are signs if you watch, well, you will know what's coming. Is that right? If you watch carefully, you will know what is coming. And he said, you hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present day? Are you analyzing this present day? Huh? And why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? These safeguards that God put into society, the conscience, the family, government, and church, uh, 
to govern and to restrain evil in society, they have been systematically de deconstructed over time. The church, in many instances, has capitulated to the secular world in an effort to, as they would say, end up on the right side of history. You ever heard of that? Ending up on the right side of history? Instead of Christians worrying about being on the right side of history, as the world has prescribed, they need to be more concerned about being on the right side of his story. Right? His story. Not history but his story, be on the right side of his story, right? People are perishing because of a lack of knowledge. That's what Hosea 4 and 6 said. Whose responsibility is it to give them knowledge that they are lacking? This truth that once they have it will set them free? Who is it? Who's responsible for that? Well, is it the world's responsibility? No, because the God of this world has blinded their minds, right? How about the schools? No, they took prayer out of the schools. It's not their responsibility. How about the government? No, they stopped trusting in God a long time ago, didn't they? Right? Even though in God we trust is still on the money, they're not following the money, are they? Hmm? Is it the mainstream media? No. They're more interested in narratives than truth, right? Is it, uh, is it Hollywood? Nope. They are more interested in being idols to the world rather than serving the true and living God who created the world, right? Is it the halls of the upper academia that we send our kids to and spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to educate them? No, they're more interested in indoctrinating rather than educating in a more classical form that incorporates the principles of God found in the Holy Scripture. They don't want any part of that. They want to indoctrinate them and not educate them. That's not all of them. But by and large, this is what we find. Is it the elite sports figures of our day? No. They're more interested in rolling over than being role models for the next generation. They used to be role models. Now they just roll over. They just roll over. The church is responsible. It's the church's responsibility to tell them we need to be able to tell them the problem and the solution, not just the problem, but the solution too. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the problem. Another problem. Tell us, the scripture tells us in 14.12, each one of us will have to give an account of what we have done, whether good or bad. Romans 14.10 tells us we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now that just sounds bad by itself, right? But we need to take them a little bit further and give them a solution. There is hope, right? John 3.16 tells us, what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us, quote, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of what? The truth, unquote, right? Not a narrative. Not a narrative, but the truth. Romans 8.1 tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation. 8, 30, uh, 8 and 39 tells us there is no separation from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 10 and 9 and 10 tells us how to get saved, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth salvation is, or is made unto salvation. 
the role and the tool of the church to change the world is evangelism, not activism. The world's tool is activism, and it has its place in that arena. But Jesus has been, still is, and will always be the answer for what ails the world today, and that is what? Sin. Activism does not do anything against sin. Evangelism does. If you can't change a person's heart, you will not change their behavior. It cannot and will not be done. So what can we do? Well, in closing, the Bible tells us plainly in 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, does that sound familiar? Or if I send pestilence among the people, uh-oh, it's getting close, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Then! will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. The preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes went through a whole lot, but he came to a conclusion. And he said the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And finally, if you have not had a chance to read Isaiah chapter 5, starting at verse 20 to 23, read the whole chapter, it's all good, but for the sake of time, starting at verse 20, this is a final warning. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe, and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Woe to those people. Now, that was the book of Isaiah. He wrote that a long time ago. What does that say about the word of God? It's not old. It's not antiquated, right? It's not irrelevant. It is more relevant today as it has ever been. God's word does not change. God does not change. He's not going to change just because we want him to change. His word is fixed. And in order for us to survive, we will have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We have to look unto Jesus, right? The author and the finisher of our faith, and we need to stay ourselves fixed in his word. More could be said. I think I've said enough. I think I left a little something for you. We hope that it will bless you and inspire you to continue to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus, and to study to show yourself approved unto God, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's bow our heads. Dear, kind, and gracious Heavenly Father, we ask right now that you would touch these, your people, Lord, 
We ask right now, Lord, if there's anyone who does not know you as their personal savior, Lord, we ask right now that they would not allow this day to go by. For today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week, but right now, because tomorrow is not promised to any of us. Lord, we ask right now that you would help each and every one of us to have a renewed sense of urgency, Lord God. We have family members, we have friends, we have associates and acquaintances, co-workers, Lord. Lord, that you have placed us in their presence every day, every week in some cases, Lord God. Lord, give us the courage, give us the wisdom, give us the words to say at the appointed and at the appropriate time, Lord God, so that we might make a difference, not only for a time in that person's life, but for all eternity. Lord, we know that we can't save anybody. We didn't save ourselves, Lord. But help us to be faithful in that which you have called us to do, and that is to plant seeds and to sprinkle water. And then pray, Lord God, to the Lord of the harvest, Lord God, because it is you, Lord, who will bring forth the increase. We thank you right now, Lord, for this word. We ask that it would go out and accomplish that which you purpose, Lord, and not return void. These favors, these blessings we ask in Christ Jesus. Amen.